Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. Today I'm joined by Sushil Ganesh. Hi Sushil. Hey Eyal, how are you doing? I'm doing fine and it's really good to have you here. Really glad we made the connection. Um, I want to hear what you'd like to bring to the table today for us to discuss. Yeah, so I have been wrestling with this idea that a lot of us have dreams and aspirations. And sometimes what happens is that we tell ourselves that we find excuses not to do the thing instead of finding an excuse to do the thing. I heard this on my podcast from another guest where he said that we should find an excuse to do the thing. And I think at least when I was in the mindset that I was two years ago, I was thinking that if I get married, if I have a family, then I won't be able to pursue my dreams. And... I can't do this, I can't do that. It was almost like I was blaming everything outside me, my circumstances, for not finding a way to do what I love doing. And the truth is, after I quit my job, left the country and all of that, uh, left the US, I felt like I was still not doing what I wanted to do. So ultimately, the person who was stopping me from doing it was me. And today, I wanted to bring an I-can-do-this mindset to this podcast. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great. And it's, it's something that I think many, many of us, if not all of us, have run into at least people who do feel a calling toward producing something, creating. And you're so right. I mean, you're talking about how family gets in the way. I, in my experience, like when, when me and my wife were thinking about having a kid, well, having a kid is this thing that you're going to think is going to derail everything you do right because suddenly there's this helpless human that you have to take care of and just thinking about it is is just strange because you know you're going to rock your own world um willingly if you're thinking about that and it makes it very hard to to reach a decision like there there is never a right time right you can't and i do feel that people uh, when they're thinking like let's say, let's run with the family thing. I feel like a lot of people are waiting for that perfect moment, like graduation, uh, getting the job, whatever. And it's interesting. I do think that many people operate in this way, and I'm not sure that is the, the best way to do it. Um, and yeah, also, I just today spoke with a friend who is saying, you know, he has many constraints in his life and limitations that stop him from doing all the ambitious things he wants to do in this in the realm of creating content and courses and so on. And my advice was you have to embrace the constraint rather than lament the fact that it exists, right? So I wonder if if you felt anything like that before, that we have to embrace the limitations rather than fight them. Oh, for sure, because there's never a right time. The right time is now. And if we keep like pushing it out, then it's never going to come there. As you said, that you're never going to be prepared to be a parent and you're never going to be completely perfect. Or there might be things that scare you. Like if your childhood was somewhat challenging, then at least in my case, it was. So there are some factors which come in saying that, Oh, if I'm not able to uh, take, uh, you know, improve myself a little bit, or if I'm not able to do some inner work, then I might be a similar kind of parent. So factors like that, I appreciate if someone takes the time, understands themselves before jumping into parenthood. But you can never be a perfect parent, even if you put like bubble wrap on them and protect them from the world, from everything out there. There's always going to be some sort of trauma or some 
something they'll blame you for when you're like uh, our age or you know uh, when they are like our age so yes. so there's never a perfect moment same with like for me i think right now i'm wrestling with the fact that i want to get back into doing comedy and I- i'm guilty of this uh, waiting for the perfect moment uh, so my my external constraint is that i need to live closer to the city i right now live in the suburb and the constraint is that i need to live closer to the city to do comedy and it's a it's a made up constraint but i have embraced that constraint in a way by saying that okay i'm going to find uh, a, pl- a place closer to the city and move there so that's what i'm working on right now and it's scary because uh, i have not done this by myself in a while in like almost 2 years like have an apartment and all of that uh, i quit my job without a plan during the pandemic and i've stayed with family for a bit but now i'm just jumping into it and saying that i can do this it's the mindset it's it's like there's a lot of fear but i can do this is like a, a mantra in the in the face of fear yeah and i really like it and the whole idea of finding an excuse why to do a thing rather not to do a thing is is novel to me and i i really like it and i wonder what would be a an example of an excuse to do something okay so i would say that i love being goofy it's i just feed off on that energy and yeah. just making yeah it's 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 fun right like wear a colorful yep. shirt dance in public make a joke just put a smile on someone else's face and it's just a feeling that i thrive uh, on and that's my excuse that's why i want to do comedy it's not because i want to be this performer or i don't it's not that i want like accolades or something it used to be uh, earlier i think it was more like oh, i want to be someone who can be a famous comedian but i just started like reconnecting with what the real reason is it's just i love being silly i don't like taking things seriously and these last few years has been the exact opposite can you imagine a comedian who takes life seriously that's that's a joke in itself oh my god that sounds horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah it's um it's definitely like for me i'm trying to think of an excuse to do something and you know at the start of the pandemic i worked on a book and the excuse was i guess that society really needed to read this book and i still believe in it wholeheartedly but it is something that was really i needed to find a, a reason that yeah was just trumping all the reasons why not to do it and another way it makes me look at the i can do this attitude is that the the real sense of of capability for for actually doing things the belief in yourself that yes you can do it that of course the uh, top 1% of performers in any field they're really special and talented but to do something there is absolutely no excuse not to do it because you have a belief that you uh, that you are not good enough or that you couldn't get better at it and i think that once you realize that um every long journey starts with a small step you know one of the one of the best things to tell yourself is like i can do this there are a lot of people who are doing this right and sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to pass a test or an exam or something like that and we neglect to look at the fact that a lot of people have passed this exam or or did did that test you know and why not me i can do this right definitely and and on the point of talent i think talent raw talent can be a curse in itself sometimes because what happens is that people who make it it's not that they're relying purely on talent as you said and what happens with talent is that we get early successes you are good at school you excel in in your exams you're able to like pick up skills easily and you think that everything that happened was just because of the talent and this is where like mindset comes in i don't know if you read the book called mindset by carol dweck it's a really good book no. about like two types of mindset so what happens in the case of some talented people is that like when they experience their first failure uh, 
they take that very personally. So if I failed at something, it's a direct reflection of me being bad at something rather than mm. me not having the skills or the technique to get that. So there are two types of mindset. One is the fixed mindset where failure is like a complete standstill. And I was in this mindset for a long time because I didn't fail early in my life. I would get good grades and there was no room for failure. It's a very South Asian trait that if you want to be successful in life, you have to have like perfect A's and you have to have the best grades and you have to get into the best college, get the best job, do all of that. So there was no room for failure. So I never experienced that early in my life. And when I did later in my life, it just became like a complete collapse of, of my reality. And that was the fixed mindset. And the growth mindset, on the other hand, is when you experience a failure, what you do is that, huh, this technique did not work right now. Or what I did right now is not working. What can I do to course correct and go about it again? So the growth mindset relies on consistent efforts, learning from my mistakes, improving and moving forward. Whereas the fixed Absolutely. mindset would be like, yeah. Yeah, so, it's, it's, it's so true. I mean, this is just as you described it. Uh, for me, I felt that uh, halfway through the education system. So basically, when it comes to memory and understanding, picking up things very quickly, I, it was very easy for me up until junior high or something where it just started uh, being more about, you know, here's the material, write it down because right now there's um, a lecturer, a teacher just telling you the material. You basically, you have to write it down, which I hated doing because up until then I didn't need to develop the skill of handwriting, which I had problem with uh, anyway because of fine motor skills. Right. And then suddenly I needed another skill that I was not talent talented at. I started getting into this uh, very negative feedback loop of like, hey, I'm not just picking these things and putting it and I'm getting straight A's anymore. And just as you say, I went very fast from, yeah, I can do this extremely easily because this, 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 this is the set of my talents to, oh, I don't seem to be able to do it at all because it's boring. It involves a skill that I both hate and never bothered to learn because I didn't need it up until now. And now I'm faced with this sheer wall, right? And it was a whole different game. So now as I'm trying to piece together a metaphor for embracing the limitations and looking at this, I'm thinking of, you know, at first, my first years in school were like surfing and it was just this, think of going forward on a wave and it just came easy for me for whatever reason. Uh, but once you're riding with the wave, you're riding the wave. Very easy. Um, I know it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not a surfer, but I imagine there are a few <laughs> tricks to that. Um, but um, suddenly I went to maybe tree climbing or something like that. And there my skill set was basically not giving me any branches right? And branches are in a way limitations. There are things that take up space. They don't give up space, but they are exactly the kind of limitations that are going to help you go up a tree rather than impede your, uh, your progress. And I think um, this just could be a, a good metaphor for seeing how you're now playing a different game and you have to understand that, yeah, it's not going to be easy. Now you're going to be using your arms and a whole different set of muscles, but you actually want uh, constraints, quote unquote, as uh, such as branches on that tree. Yeah, definitely. And the surfing example was funny because it's not easy at all. I, I, I surfed for the first time in my life this year. And you're right, it's, it's a lot easier when when the wave is with you and walking you have the momentum have better <laughs> yeah. yeah no but i mean getting on that wave or you know making it to mm -hmm. a place where you can balance and all of that i think that's what takes the effort and i think when there's greater room for failure i feel i mean i don't blame my parents because they came from this abject poverty era of uh, post-independence india and their reality was shaped by starvation and not having enough money or 
working, working, working right their way through it. And I am very privileged to not have those kind of constraints. But yeah, the, their reality shaped their parenting in such a way that there's no room for failure. You can't miss your shot. And I feel we are more privileged in this setting that we have like way more shots than they did, is how I feel. So why not have that I can do this mindset right now when I'm in my 30s or, you know, when I'm, I have more room for failure, uh, a longer rope for failure than being 45 or 50 or 60 and then saying, oh, I didn't do this thing, which I really wanted to do. Right. Yeah, definitely. A hundred percent there on having more freedom to explore. I think it's uh, much more culturally acceptable to try things and fail in the West today. And, you know, founding a, a startup today is a, is a prestigious thing, even though as a startup founder, you're most likely going to uh, fail in the conventional sense. Uh, but the understanding that any kind of failure is is really another branch that you've now found and is going to help uh, propel you forward because of the lesson learned, that's a that's a major development and it's a, it's a very twenty um, first century thing for sure. And yeah, I guess would you say that though for parents' generation, um, and I can do this attitude the maybe the constraints were more constricting i mean there is i feel like there is a point where yeah you can't you can't afford to uh, jump to another branch and hope to to land the thing because if you fall you do fall and you don't get up yeah and on the branches topic when you were talking about that, what came to mind was this this really cool visualization where you were like a point in time saying that you're here and there were like infinite branches like sticking out towards the past and they were all grayed out because you've taken like one path to get there and and all the, op- the opportunities that you had in the past, they're closed down. But the magical part was going forward, right? Every branch or every possibility was still open because you have not played out that road yet. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure who had posted this. I think it was Tim Urban, but I would like find it for your listeners for the show notes or something and send it your way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the life, you know, the things that it could have been and how it looks in the end. And yeah, I know, I know that image. And for sure. I think I think actually if you're touching on this point, that's a very uh, FOMO thing, right? That we have to deal with because <laughs> of the many options. It's um, not not one and not two psychologists have observed that um, the availability of many options is not necessarily um, a good thing psychologically, right? To be psychologically healthy, you can be overwhelmed by the possibilities that you can take and you can cherish the possibilities so much that you're not trying to specialize even in the smallest way and really in the end it means that you are like uh, an artist looking at a block of wood that could be many different beautiful sculptures and you dare not touch it right because if you if you made this um, engraving here it couldn't be that or and so on and that's that's a kind of uh paralysis which i think the the i can do attitude uh is is out there to fix exactly that because eventually we better get started we better make a mistake you know what any kind of impression you leave on a piece of wood that you're about to work if you're not happy with it just um just take that whole part off and you'll have a more miniature sculpture, but you could begin again with some knowledge that you've earned. Yeah. And what stuck out there was like, yeah, the FOMO. We are not homo sapiens. We are FOMO sapiens because (laughs) it affects all of us. You know, it's not only people who are, uh, it's not only people who don't have their, uh, you know, the world together and and struggle with that it's it's i have so much fomo and when you were saying all of that right i went in like my mind went in like a loop of oh no he's talking about me 
<laughs> because I've been in that situation where the analysis paralysis, oh, if I take this place, then I will not have this. Right now I'm apartment hunting and I'm being very mindful about like not going down this path because that's like, that's the excuse not to do the thing, right? Like constantly looking for something better to come along. And I think right. it's the bane of the existence of millennials because we have this scroll culture or we were introduced to this like in our teens and our 20s where something better is always coming along in terms of there's a better meme, there's a funnier video, there's a better match on online dating and we're always looking for like the next path. And if we apply that same principle of something better is coming to our life, then we are spending the entire life waiting. And I know, yeah, being in my 30s now, I know that there's not enough time. <laughs> yeah, swiping. I don't know. I never had Tinder, but I guess it's just swiping left is... Uh, You're so lucky. Not take... <laughs> I am. I, I Honestly now, honestly now, I am. Um, but I guess it's swiping left, like, to see the next picture. So basically, we are we spend our lives swiping left, right? Yeah, so swiping left is like basically closing off that that path. It's like I'm not taking this. I mean, obviously they have to swipe yeah. as well, but it's right. like it's like let's say if you have a match and you're talking to someone, and then you you're like, okay, this is going well, but then your mindset would be like, oh, maybe there's someone I'm more compatible with, or there's someone who's better. And right, yeah, this yeah. is this is you know, and I I find a lot of um, I have a lot of beef with the optimizers in life. I really do not like the the term uh, when people are trying to optimize really almost anything. And I recorded an episode about this with uh, Tesho titled Good, Better, Best, where I kind of try and go into the whole thing that I have because I think we should be a lot more accepting of the fact that nothing is going to ever be fully optimized. We can't look at, uh, at any choice. It's it's. Like in terms of physics, it's impossible to find something that is straight tense. It's like on 10 different parameters, it's a 10, right? Um, and we should really be thinking about uh, in ranges, in ranges of like, yeah, this is decent, this is acceptable, this is good enough. And I think this is what creates movement forward. And this is what uh, can save us from this place where we're stuck and we're swiping left all the time because we're afraid not to be with the perfect thing. And in the end, what what creates a more beautiful story, right? When you're looking at it from a distance, what creates a more beautiful story? A person who is kind of passively looking at things go by and waiting for the perfect um, coach to to jump on or the person who is just trying things and failing miserably and sometimes is the is the is the butt of a joke right sometimes it's like you just jump under and you slip on a banana and you're humiliated <laughs> yeah the, the perfect story is the one that is actually happening and not just in your head and right it, yeah and you're right like you have to have a sense of humor about it. And as I said, coming back to my point about taking life too seriously, I think that's one of the biggest excuses not to do the thing. Because, you know, in India, we have this concept, or I think we have it all over the world, but we say, log kya kahenge. It means, what will people say about me uh -huh. if... I have brought embarrassment to my family or I have brought like shame to my family. I used to have a good job and now I'm living off my savings, blah, blah, blah. All the chatter gets in the head. Like what will my neighbors, brother-in-laws, sisters, father-in-laws, daughters, husband think about what I've done in my life? You just invent right. these people who will find a fault or find some mistakes with what you'll do. And that's the biggest excuse. It's like, what will people think about me? And the funny thing is, nobody 
gives a crap about you in in the true sense people are caught up in their own bs they're caught up in their own thoughts and everything but we have this projection that if i do this i look bad in front of x number of people who eventually i don't care about either <laughs> and that's yeah. like one of the blockers to get through yeah and you know the, the funny thing is that your family members which are going to um not approve the the choices you make are doing it for the very same reason right so it's like what are the neighbors going to say which is even even stranger right because it's not even them they're like identifying with <laughs> you and your choices which is weird like i don't think we should identify with anybody else and their own choices and what they choose to do in their life like if my dad does something embarrassing that it shouldn't really project on me and say that oh i'm related to them uh, <laughs> but but once once you realize that that they are going to think the same way and it's like this endless chain of what are people going to think and actually it's like three degrees of separation right let's say it's your it's your father who you're afraid of letting down or what he's going to think and he's thinking it about the neighbors like it really makes no sense to think that about other people in the world it's like not the whole world is not going to care about what Sushil does it's like it dissipates very quickly like probably just outside of your immediate family nobody cares anymore it's very true and but we like doing that we like as you said as we spoke about earlier we like sorry about that uh we like creating this cage it's almost like we are so addicted to this oh i could have done this but i don't like almost like we are addicted to the suffering like it's like a unhealthy kind of juice which keeps us resentful or you know when you see someone else doing the thing that you love and then you think that oh i could have done this but you know i would rather yeah. just mope about I, it i, I was just i i was <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that you know there's there's the I cannot do this attitude, there's the I can do this attitude and maybe what people really don't want to experience is the could I do it attitude which <laughs> could could I have done it attitude which I think they really want to keep away from. Yes. For me personally, I have been in that mindset saying that other people doing things that I love and I'm like oh I'm being so mopy and irritated about it and constantly complaining and it's such such work it's so much work to be miserable <laughs> it's it's less work to be out there doing the thing than just constantly being miserable and upset about like what other people are doing and what other people are thinking i feel it takes so much energy to be the person that you'll realize that you're spending all of that energy wasting it away when you can actually be putting into like finding solutions and yeah yeah absolutely i mean for me the decision to actually pursue a, a project of passion writing a book in the beginning and then when i lost the passion for that moving to podcasting which i really love so massively healing so massively healing you know so it's i mean it's it's it it could be a trite saying but you know taking taking a huge stone off my chest and um but i'm still it's it's still something that i'm thinking a lot about because yes there is an attitude of i can do this but i'm i'm very very interested about that moment about making the actual step of breaking away with tradition and actually doing the thing. So I I want to hear a little bit about your experience with comedy because I'm interested in that personally. I told you when we talked before uh privately that I have this calling to like do comedy in some form of another. And to me it takes a lot of guts to do it. And yeah, I'd love to hear about your experience deciding to do it. preparing to do it and um actually doing it for the first time if you don't mind for sure so it goes back to when i was in in school 
And I would always like being in plays, doing elocution, and being this performer was always an aspect which was there in me. And I would also tell like these really bad jokes in terms of I would make like jokes about like puns and breaking words and looking at like different ways of reconstructing it. And it's always like a, a facet of my mind, which I've been fascinated by was that there is this, this thread, if you know, like computers, there's like a thread of process running. There's always this background thread, which is thinking of jokes or something immediately mm. in response to say. And that's when I realized that I, oh yeah, there's like this constant machine that makes jokes or something in my head. But I didn't think uh -huh. about comedy back then. And when I was roughly 12 to 13 years old, Seinfeld aired in India for the first time. Or, you know, the show Seinfeld started airing on this Indian channel. It was being syndicated. And I saw Jerry Seinfeld do this joke. And he did a joke about how the dryer is like a, a nightclub for clothes and how all the clothes are like <laughs> dancing together and like there's a one sock grabbing another sock and they're like having a fun time and when you open the door to the the dryer everyone is like nothing has happened they're, they're like going still you know <laughs> like they don't want to be caught and it was such a simple concept but the entire room was like roaring with laughter and I saw that and I felt like I want to do that someday. I want to be in a room where I grab the mic and make people laugh with my words. And I was always fascinated by that concept. And fast forward to second year engineering, I had the opportunity or there was like this, this call for performances for the 25th anniversary of our college. And they needed someone to fill like a five to seven minute slot because the band was setting up behind the curtain and it, they didn't want like dead air. They didn't want there to be uh, no entertainment during that duration. And mm -hmm. I thought maybe I could write a few jokes. I wrote a bit about like the Indian wrestler who became champion in the WWE and I was doing uh, an impression of his voice. And also there was another skit which I was doing, which was uh, an as seen on TV commercial. Like, you know, when you have like these belts, okay, they yeah. say, I was 400 pounds before and I wore this and I'm like 100 pounds now. <laughs> and <laughs> and the, the, the funny thing about those ads was when they were in India, you would see that they were dubbed in Hindi. So there would always be these white people who are talking <laughs> about like, being fat and becoming fit, but all of it is in Hindi. So that in, in itself was a funny premise. So me and my friend, we did like this seven minute skit and it was, it was an amazing experience because first of all, the audience was not there to see us. We were like mm -hmm. this filler act and right. What happened was it was a full auditorium, 900 people. I mean, that's the most wow. number of people I've done comedy wow. for. It's India. <laughs> it's India. What? Oh, so yeah, there, there, there are a lot, lot of people. people. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a big auditorium and there are so many people there. And we were bombing at start at the start. And, and then we we captured the audience and everyone laughed. And, and then it just... What a great feeling that you were able to like make so many people laugh. And a lot of people came up after the show and they said that, oh, actually, you know, this was the best performance. Although it was like a filler, it was really the, the most entertaining. Yeah. And then I felt like I should do comedy. I want to do comedy a lot more. And that's when I started doing. Full disclosure, uh, since the pandemic and since going through uh, uh, many depressive episodes in my life, I have not been able to do comedy. And I really am looking at it. And that's what I wanted to talk about. I can do this. It's not about the listeners. It's not about like telling you that you can do it. It's about like coming on a podcast and telling people that I can do this and having that mindset. Okay, it's been two and a half years. I've had enough time to assess and work through some of the challenges. But now I'm ready. I want to get back out there. That's amazing. And I think the, the world is waiting for you, even though 
I guess in Canada, you can expect an auditorium with 30 people <laughs> if I'm comparing <laughs> the population sizes. Um, 30 but, is a good uh, start. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, no, I think it's amazing. You know, I think it's very different from many of the of the early um, like stand-up comedy experiences that I have heard from comedians going on podcasts and so on. I think that many of them expressed um, a lack of belief in themselves or not 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 being sure if they can do this. And there's also the uh, the skit that's uh, famous by now or the bit where uh, Bill Burr does that um, bit in front of a crowd that's waiting for a concert in, in Philadelphia, I think, and they boo him the whole thing until he just starts shouting at them and fighting back. And in the end, they really appreciate it. But that was an experience of a comedian doing a, a sketch when they didn't expect it. They went to see a concert and they weren't so, they didn't have any um, any sort of patience for him to, to do his thing. But they were fueled with alcohol. They weren't nice um, students in a school. So Worst I'm, I'm places really to do happy. comedy. Like a concert where people are waiting. I mean, the worst setting to do comedy is when people are waiting for someone else. And... If it's a right. restaurant, yeah, yeah. If it's a restaurant and there's a table, people are eating. There's so many bad settings in terms of like people are so caught up in their own conversation. It's horrible. Like I've seen comedians, some of my friends from Seattle, who would post videos of them like fighting back with hecklers. And I don't know. It's it's difficult to do comedy sometimes because people are like entitled and in 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 their mindset that. You know, my my own stuff is more important. By the way, can, do you curse on this podcast or are you trying to keep it uh, yeah, you can, yeah. kosher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Get it out. All, everything you can get You can unload. <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, yeah, you know, it's... Um, it's yeah, I have heard that before that you shouldn't do comedy instead uh, in front of people that eat. But your story kind of uh, brings some hope to my heart. Although now running through the scenarios of me going to a school to do that and finding out that, you know, 20 years later, while the kids are different, I think they're all going to be hecklers this time. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't get me started on that because people, people have lost touch with the concept of it's a joke to some degree in today's world i feel imagine if you went to a comedy show and you gave the comedian a script and you're like oh these are the things you can say and right. you know yeah you make us laugh by saying only these things it's almost that mentality is coming in where where people are not like seeing it as satire or commentary on how ridiculous things are right now as opposed to everything has become more like audience centric or, or me centric or like Bill Burr is a great example. You mm -hmm. know, he was telling some jokes about uh, he was in the UK and he said that, Oh, making jokes in America has become so awful. <laughs> and he was talking about like how being outside the country was like a, a boon. And he says that everyone, anytime you make a joke, you're like, is he talking about me? Is it, is it me? And, you know, everyone is like me centric and, and my problems and, and my, my own BS, which is, which you're projecting onto the comedian. And the same thing we spoke about, like from an, I can do this mindset. It's like your own BS, you project onto your neighbors, onto your parents, onto your mm -hmm. family. It's, it's almost like it comes back full circle. We are all guilty of this. I am guilty of this as well. Yeah, it's, um, well, you know, now I'm thinking if if people are stuck in the I cannot do this mindset, there's also a tendency to develop an attitude of like, you can't do this either, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to do everything in my power to make you not believe in yourself. I, I, I feel like that's a, a real thing, by the way. Yeah, because misery sells products right if you see instagram it's basically an ad engine or an ad wedged between two posts that make you miserable 
you'll see someone who is living the perfect life and you'll see someone who is like whatever they're like vacationing somewhere in hawaii someone who is uh, attending like this fabulous live music event and between that you'll see an ad which is like oh are you miserable take this this pill or take this drug that we have and then you'll be fine and i think there's that that energy of you're right if i am miserable then everyone around me has to be miserable why should anyone else be happy and i it's it's always almost the victim mindset if um, there's this book called the empowerment dynamic which i read recently and it talks about how humanity is stuck in this 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 drama triangle of uh, victim savior and oppressor and there are the three roles that people keep switching over and over about as in if you take the comedy example the comedian who tells the joke is perceived as the oppressor and the person who's listening mm-hmm. who feels attack that's the victim and then the person who's attacked what they say is like okay they have like a community which backs them and they're like uh oh we'll right. support you and we will destroy this comedian and everything and then what happens strangely in that scenario is that let's say these this band of people go ahead and cancel a comedian the comedian becomes a victim because he has been cancelled the original mm-hmm. victim becomes the oppressor and yeah mm-hmm. then we have a new person looking for the savior role like free speech absolutists like they're like oh the comedian can say whatever he wants we should protect free speech they become the new saviors so yeah yeah we are stuck that's, in that triangle yeah that's fascinating um yeah that's such an interesting dynamic and you see it with um either the the you know politically if you go very very far into the right or to the left that's that's what you see right or the people who feel that they've been victimized so that gives them the justification to um persecute other other people and and the most normal people at that right it's the attack of on on normal people um always um yeah it's 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 really fascinating how people are in love with this victim mentality and i wonder if that's something that is more culturally prevalent these days um or in the past yeah there was just not much to do about it so it's just how you lived life but hmm. i yeah i can't recommend enough you know getting getting out of that and i guess i sound like a type of guru which i don't want to do because i don't have <laughs> i don't have i don't have good actionable advice what i do i do be silly it goes back to to be silly you know don't don't be in love with the with the persona you want to put on and project onto the world because th- this is this is it right i mean the victim mentality is kind of just the easiest way to keep some sort of persona and project something that is widely accepted but if you manage to see that you can go out there and you can be silly you can appear ridiculous and the sky doesn't fall i think that puts a crack in the whole um the whole kind of house that that houses this persona of yours that that is needs to be curated at all times like that is there is something healing about about um again being silly and goofy so do you do you find a, a reason do you think it's just temperament for some people that they they look forward to the moments where they can be goofy and silly or is this a could this be a learned thing Oh it's a learned thing for sure. Yeah, and and okay. as you said the victim mindset is also a learned thing. And mm-hmm. you're right it's probably more rampant now because everyone has a platform. Everyone who wants to have a platform has a platform. Like you have TikTok, you have Reels, you have any form of entertainment. I'm not saying that these people have not been wronged. Okay? Uh, at the original part of they might have gone through some experience where there was like an original trauma where people made made fun of them or they were wronged by someone who made them feel little i have been in that situation i'm sure a lot of people have been there let's say if people are who are like having eating disorders or not able to like uh you know control uh, something so that aspect of their life 
maybe they were they were assaulted or shamed or something at a very early age and and that's the mentality that have that has really progressed later into their life i have been in that situation i'm working very actively with functional therapy with uh, with group groups that i do in a therapeutic setting where we explore like behavioral patterns and and how we can overcome them so i am like a perfect subject for this saying that it's a learned behavior of learning to do the thing over time because i was definitely trapped in this this mentality that i have been dealt a shit hand and and the world sucks i have depression i have lupus i have this i have that and and now i feel and that became my identity because i would when i would talk about this and tell my friends that i'm going through this they would be like oh poor you or you know or mm-hmm. i feel bad for you you have a tough life and it's like validation it's almost like doing comedy from from a very miserable angle you're like you're going on stage right. you're talking about your miserable uh, life and everything and everyone like oh poor you and and that's like the the applause or the validation that you get and it's addictive you'll see a lot of people on tiktok saying that oh this person is this this person is that i am been victimized and then there are like people are like oh that person should die that person sucks blah 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 and you see oh i i spoke about like my um how my life sucks and i got validation and that is happening to me that can happen to anyone so it's a learned behavior because we are like no matter how fancy we think we are we are all like pavlov's dog we get like that that pill of validation or we get like that that positive or that reinforcement we get and then we are addicted to that and the same way you can undo that uh, and as i mentioned the book empowerment dynamic gives some tools where you can change the the mindset of of victim um to like you know i think it's hero or it's uh, i forgot the exact terminology but the oppressor in the new triangle becomes a challenger someone who is posting challenges to you so let's say if someone mm-hmm. is like making fun of you or insulting you or triggering you then that person is challenging you to grow that you don't have to react to this yeah. that you don't have to have the same level of um, you know uh, same lower level of reaction that you used to have and you can have a different reaction to it and the other role i think uh, instead of savior which is which is also a very uh, sensationalized uh, concept the problem with the savior is that you're reliant on someone else to do the work for you like you cannot like take care of your own stuff and you can't like you're not empowered in that in that setting so the 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 new role for that would be the that of a coach so mm-hmm. this person helps you use your own power to get through that and i'm in that that setting is that like this the work that i do uh with a therapist is it's actually helping me become powerful by myself as opposed to being reliable relying on right ex- on the external yeah yeah that's that's lovely and i'd like to share a, a personal story of mine as well that i think connects nicely with this is um in my teenage years when i was depressed i think towards the end of the period of the depression first of all i can definitely say that uh and i can do this attitude has developed over time but i think one of the triggers that brought it about was uh my sister i have a sister who's 15 years um older than me and at some point she was doing something which could be by a lot of people would be considered insensitive but You're right. I was I was riding the wave again to go back to the metaphor. I was riding the wave of losing my mom at a young age and I just had this story and this habit of telling people it was like, you know, I'm this poor kid. I I lost my mom and it's like just as you say, it just became a pattern and a habit. And my sister when I got to be uh 17, 18, you know, she started telling me it was like stop uh self-pitying yourself, right? Stop stop with it enough with the self-pity. And I think for a lot of people that would be an uh, an act of oppression right it's like why isn't she containing him why isn't she uh doing uh you know sitting with him for as long as he needs to talk about his problems and stuff and 
to some degree, I, I weirdly agree with both things, but when I look at the result of the kind of intervention and the kind of intervention that this sister gave me, it it did wonders for my for for what I was trying to do, right? Because it was like enough with this. Okay, it got me to think. It was like, well, this is really not serving me, right? This whole attitude. Because what happens? I'm just the years are going by, and I'm. I'm this victim. I'm not doing well. It's not actually making me feel well. Like at this point, it's just something that I repeat. It gets some sort of attention from people. Uh, it probably gets old with them too. So I might not even notice, but they probably just move along to other people who are less of a uh, energetic vampires at some point. And you know that really kickstarted and uh, a shift toward and I can do this attitude. And I'm grateful for that. And I wonder if um, we all need some of that and and what the balance is, because of course we want to be contained, we want to be soothed uh, and so on. But we also need to be, as you say, challenged because this this is making you face some obstacle that you haven't known, which if you're now looking at it, could actually be a, a springboard for you. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And it's true that, you know, when you're going through it, you're not able to see it. There's no consciousness in that. When you're like in, in that mentality that you have been dealt a, a crap shoot of a hand and, you know, why me happens a lot. And then you're not able to see that. But the answer to that is building that inner adult or like a conscious mind of actually being able to see your life from a third person perspective or like a bird's eye view. So, and that's the answer It's like, it takes a lot of time and you have to keep, it's not easy. It's, it's very easy to just go back to old patterns. And definitely you spoke about energetic vampires and, and I'm very curious where you heard that term because we are in like this transactional, world where we have these uh, these these games or you know these these exchanges that keep happening between people and and I've read a little bit about this and we've spoken about this with uh, with my therapist it's about like saying that like when you when you talk about like self-pity or something like that uh, you're like getting energy of, of, oh, poor you from someone else. And that's like your reward for that. And mm-hmm. yeah. similarly, yeah, if similarly, let's say if you're in a relationship where you're constantly provoking each other and someone says something insulting and, you know, you are like in your, in your baseline and then they, you keep, they keep like prodding you and, and then you just throw a fit, you lose your state of mind and you have a rage incident then that's a lot of energy and and that person who provoked you like unconsciously is feeding off that energy and and the vampires i don't know are like external entities that are like feeding off each other constantly and it's not like really what our like base consciousness or like our consciousness without this extra baggage is like so i found that very interesting and maybe your sister was like feeling like the victim or oh, this guy is talking about himself constantly and acting all miserable. We all have lives to live. Yeah. And she acted out and then became the oppressor. <laughs> yeah. That's so interesting. I, I should ask her at this point, it's been many years. So it's, it is interesting. I mean, she, she surely was frustrated, you know, it's frustrating. And I wonder if when you mentioned uh, like transactions, were you actually thinking of transactional analysis? Like there's a, yeah yeah because there's okay yeah so transactional analysis yeah is 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 great at really i i love looking at it and the games that are mentioned that people play in their dynamics and oh that's a great book as well games people play it's yeah yeah it's 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 really good and it's it's a very interesting framework to work with and it makes sense because you see this uh, simple simple basically two by two um, table, right? And it's uh, there are a few games, but basically the desired state when two people are 
are meeting one another and the transactions they have between them is the uh, is the feeling that I'm okay, you're okay, right? And mm-hmm. it can be that um, I'm not okay and you're okay. Well, at least one game, I'm not sure I remember all of them, but at least the, the very common one is the yes, but, right? And it's, it's, it's extremely common and extremely frustrating. And it's this something that we all know, but it's basically coming to a person, giving them a reason, kind of reasoning with them about, okay, let's, let's tie this back to the I can do this thing. It's like, you're going to give them a reason why, yeah, they can get out there tomorrow and do their gig and, or, or apply for that job or write that paper, right? You give them all the reasons and like, it's, it's very reasonable and it's a well-constructed argument. And what you hear from them is yes, but, and this is in a sense, like much, this is much worse than no, you don't understand. There are these other things like you just said yes. And now you're introducing, but so in a sense, you could have said no, but you're saying yes because you want to keep me hooked into this. You you want me to come with these things. You we, you want to appear to be agreeing with me so that I keep doing it. Mm. Really, you're saying yes, but you're saying no and bringing up. Now you're trying to uh, you're going to try and reason back why no, it's not time for you to do the gig to write the paper to apply for the job. And this that is, person uh, is this not is looking a... for a solution, you know. I feel like exactly, when you said that, exactly, they so just this, this... they just want mm-hmm. this transaction where they say this is the excuse my life sucks and I can improve it, but there's like these X number of reasons. Just agree with me and say that my life sucks because that's the juice I want to get from you. Right, right, and this is you know if if the it's it's a it's a very annoying part of reality <laughs> is that you cannot make anyone agree with you and if you do it by force you know if you hold a gun to their head or something they might do it you know it's not true and you know you've escalated the situation because they might point a gun back at some point um you cannot make anybody agree with you you need good faith and you need goodwill and the people who get on the yes but treadmill and keep doing that that is going to suck the energy out of you and um, of course, you need sensitivity to deal with that. You can't just um, in, in burst their bubble in a violent way and make them change their way. It's impossible, but it should um, it should set off an alarm and a red flag where you now see a problem that needs to be addressed and solved um, in in very likely very creative ways. Yeah, and I, I anyone can do this with with the right resources, with some level of consciousness, and seeing their patterns. and And when you said the yes, but, and then I was like, oh, I'm preaching on this this podcast, and I did this last week. <laughs> so I was like, it, it was like <laughs> a, an exercise in consciousness and awareness for me, and self awareness, where I was looking at a certain problem in my life. And and then I was in conversation with someone who was like, you know, you could do this. And then I was like, yeah, but <laughs> yes, but exactly. That was the same terminology. And I'm like, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, Podcasting it's, it's, it's is it's like so therapy, common. you know, to be honest. Podcasting is like you see, you see versions of yourself or you see yourself from so many different angles as a guest and as a host. And that's what I have, like, that's what I got from my own podcast, Heal with Sushil as well, is that I call on guests and I feel like each week it's it's not just about like me fixing the world or giving other people solutions. It's more like I'm finding solutions to improve my own life and, and get to being a better person each day. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, for me, the, the biggest... Um... Yeah, I, I benefit from this. I Hopefully my guest, you in this case, benefits from this and listeners who can take something away. I wouldn't do a podcast where I think that um, I am just this 
a beacon of wisdom that that can just transmit everything to everyone but knows everything that's the kind of attitude that makes me sick um mm. yeah absolutely um and that that's you know getting other people into the picture as we discussed the i can do this that's also an interesting thing to um to discuss and think about is that what what can you do to be a person um to be the person to other people who empowers them who who does that um who can really yeah make other people uh believe that they can do this i don't know have you experimented with this at all that's that's kind of the vision for everything that i do it's it's almost like living by example you know if i can be so messed up if i can have so many things which need work and do the work and actually do the things that i love doing then anyone can do it with like uh, depression autoimmune disease poor health addiction anxiety i have all the like the the checklist of buzzwords that you know scream <laughs> mental illness and if i can work through that and and actually adhd i miss that <laughs> if if someone like me can do it then anyone can do it is that kind of message that i want to bring into the world yeah i i i really love it um and uh, yeah absolutely 100% and i'm also thinking you know understand that in this day and age there is no proven way to go through life where you are going to end up successful because these the definition of success changes and for me especially like thinking about doing well then success in the mainstream sense really makes um no sense and really telling people that from a young age i think giving them giving them the space to fail you know which it sounds like you you never had and as you point out there were good reasons why why this came about but update the software right update the program and realize that in the in the day and age that we live in i think young people should be encouraged to try things and fail and see that the 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 sky isn't falling and that there is another day to try a new thing and i really love the the leading by example thing because i think in essence anyone who has uh made it even even if it's in the mainstream sense right like a, a sports a, a sports player an actor somebody who's just become very good at something that happens to be very prestigious in our culture and is therefore put on a pedestal you know if you ask yourself like how did they do it well there are two ways to go about it like you can break it down into the components of like how many hours a day they trained and so on and you'll very soon find that it actually wasn't that pleasant like you're probably not going to repeat the experience yourself but in another sense it's i i know it's kind of tautological and stupid but how did they do it well they they did it i mean they actually went and tried <laughs> and, and and did it right i mean they they didn't tell themselves all the yes buts they did not stop with that they did not give themselves they did it and you know what you 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 don't see all the hours of just unsuccessful um attempts at and all this all the times where they were too tired to to train and still did it and all the the misery behind it you you don't see that you just see the end product and think it's like wow they must be so special well they are in the sense they could be very talented and they are very talented and the, if they're in the top 1% of their field but um really the the most unique thing is that they actually got off their butt and and started working out yeah when you said how did they do it they did it almost like spat out my tea <laughs> and <laughs> no but that's it that's that's the answer there's no secret sauce you have to keep showing up it's painful sometimes but pain today is gain tomorrow is like the gym cliche <laughs> i don't know why i said that but <laughs> <laughs> it it makes sense
It's uh well, you know, the whole podcasting world is just like two people trying to um end I'll up understanding that, that cliches are true. <laughs> yeah, in the end. It's like um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that um if if I'm going to let's do it like that. Like I'll I'll give to to conclude maybe an actionable uh, something advice that I think is actionable and then I'll want to hear one from you. But mine would be um yeah, definitely do something silly tomorrow. Um make something that actively damages the kind of image that you've wanted to um to curate up until this day. That's amazing. I don't want to add to that, but I would say something I've exper- been experimenting with. If you're struggling with the excuse saying that I don't have enough time, you can try what I'm trying this week. So this week I'm on day four right now. I'm not using my phone until noon for starters. I'll not touch my phone. And I have noticed that so much time has opened up in my mornings. I'm constantly distracted by the phone going back and forth and I've noticed that like keeping technology aside for a little bit and being present in your morning is a great way to unlock like that extra bit of time to do the thing. Yeah, that's that's sound advice for sure. Um, yeah, hands off the phone, motherfucker. Um, <laughs> yeah, unless you're listening to this podcast, then <laughs> of course, yeah. If you're listening to it at, at eight a.m., keep listening. It's fine. We didn't mean that uh, very bad advice Sushil. um yeah <laughs> um yeah this is this has been uh wonderful and even though it's it's not specifically for your podcast of healing i i do feel that it was healing and i'm looking forward to recording one on a slightly different topic uh for your for your uh wonderful podcast soon um yeah so I'd love I'd love for you to share with listeners any kind of details about where your thoughts can be found and your work and anything else you do because I know it's not just comedy and it's not just podcasting so um yeah go ahead So yeah one of the the good byproducts of having a neurodiverse mind is that you have a lot of hobbies and interests and I'm grateful for that so I I do a weekly podcast called Heal with Sushil which can be found at healwithsushil.com. And I also do a newsletter which goes uh, with that with, at healwithsushil.substack.com. And yeah, I love painting. My passion, One of my passions is turning waste material and garbage into art on canvas. And I post uh, my paintings and artwork on the art conduit on Instagram. And it's been an absolute pleasure working with Al. And I hope you check out his podcast and yeah, give him a thumbs up because he's putting some awesome content out there. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, Yusil. Yeah, It's been great. And uh, I'm going to propose something which I hope you're going to take. Um, as soon as you do get up on stage and do your um, first gig in two and a half years, then I'd love for us to catch up and put up a, a short special episode of how it went. So Oh, that's amazing. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, it's been a great pleasure. And until next time, which is not far away. <laughs>